Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Front Page Dub. It is your host, Cody Ojeda, and joined, as always, by the wonderful Matt Olson, who I think a congratulations is all, is in order for you, Matt. Um, Your international debut of sorts, obviously covering all things Matildas over there, Olympic qualifiers recently where we topped our group, we go to the next stage, but how was that experience? How are you feeling? Yeah, um, the international break, eh? Um, international duty treated me very, very well. I've, I've got a, I've got a funny story for you. I, I think so. Obviously, <laughs> the format, there was a lot of controversy from the AFC's end about, uh, the format, tournament format and the three teams that we knew would progress as group winners, but then having to figure out if there was a formulaic process for how the fourth team would be seeded and who it would be. And North Korea don't have the proper ranking and who's going to get through and blah, 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 blah. So. <laughs> So all three games are finished and the very last press conference, uh, comes up. And of course it's, it's Tony with, uh, with Mary Fowler. Mary Fowler has to go and do her, um, like her recovery stuff. So she has to go first. Tony doesn't do any speaking. We, we speak to Tony after we finish with Mary. We, we, we're having a good laugh. And then as we're doing the press with Tony, we're looking at the results of the China South Korea game. Of course they both drew. And it meant that they, they stuffed each other over. Neither of them could progress. And it meant that, uh, at Uzbekistan, after not playing at the last three or four Asian Cups, has made the final four of an AFC tournament, which is, is huge, right? It's huge. But what we didn't realize was that they had seeded it so that, um, Australia would play the second team in, in group C. None of us understood that this was the format at the time. And uh, I don't remember who the reporter was. I think it was. No, no, I actually have no idea who it was. I, th- I think it might be Tom Wilder from the ABC. Um, shout out to him. But someone was basically like, hey, Tony, is it really frustrating that we don't know who we're about to play? And Tony was like, well, I don't know if the press were, were briefed on this, um, but I certainly was. And um, as a result of uh, Uzbekistan possibly finished second to Japan, it'll probably be the second team in Group C. And we're like, oh, Okay. And then Tony explains, literally goes out of his way to explain the whole bracket. He goes, <laughs> he goes, so A would play C, B would play C, blah, 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 blah. Oh, sorry. B would play A second team or something like this. And he, he literally explains it all. We're all very stupid sitting there with our recorders thinking we don't actually have to pay attention to this. We just record and listen to it later. No one remembers what he said. <laughs> literally, no, no one remembers what he said. So we all walk in and do the mix zone with some of the players later. Lydia Williams came by. Uh, Alana Kennedy came by. There was a bit of a funny moment with Alana Kennedy as well. But we're all sitting there thinking, we literally just completely forgot what Tony said about the tournament. We still don't know who we're going to play, but we know that uh, China and South Korea had just drawn and Uzbekistan comfortably won the game against India. So Uzbekistan are going through. Um, North Korea was going to be the other team out of Group B. And of course, uh, the Philippines were pretty comfortably knocked out because of their really big loss to the Matildas. So we knew it was Uzbekistan going through, but we're still thinking, is there a possibility that we would face North, North Korea instead? Some of us were talking about like it would be a good story to cover the North Korea away leg for very obvious reasons. Would the game be played in North Korea? Would it be playing in China? And then <laughs> Beck Trevojevich, the media manager from the FA, of course, she runs into the room and she goes, We've drawn Uzbekistan. <laughs> and everyone goes, oh, that's what the format was. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and then immediately we're all tweeting out saying we're going to play, be playing in Tashkent on the 24th. And it was just like the funniest thing because, because Tony literally maybe like half an hour ago explained it's going to be the team from group C. And we all collectively immediately forgot what he just told us. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think you were one of the first people to put that out, actually. So good on you for, I won't say breaking that news, but you did pretty well to get it out there. I did, yeah. Well, I so it's nice to know. I, I, I <laughs> it just came out. Nice to hear the story behind it, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I, I put breaking in the tweet because it was maybe not even 10 or 15 seconds after that, that Beck had just communicated it to us. And to be fair, <laughs> to be fair, it, it, like it was, it was breaking news. So I, I didn't feel like I was trying to be like a big hotshot reporter. Like it, it literally, Hadn't been communicated, and then um, the FA the FA put it out on their socials within half an hour, and the, the big shots like Joey Lynch and stuff were already on it um, within within that time as well. So yeah, I was I was early on it because I was literally one of the first like four or five people to to have been told. But it was just really funny in that Tony Tony knew, and we all thought he didn't know, and then he told us, and we forgot. So yeah, uh, pretty funny. But um, yeah, let, let's talk about some dub code because it has been a very intriguing time. Well. This is at your request, actually. We're not going to start with a dub just yet, because we do have a dub team playing in another competition. Sydney FC obviously kicking off their Asian Women's Club Championship campaign. 3-0 win over Bam Cartoon. I think that's how it was called. I just remember you saying the group chat, Bam Cartoon, and that's how I'm kind of remembering <laughs> it right now. But um, look, decent win. I would love to go in depth about the analysis and what I saw from the match or what you saw from the match. But I don't know if we saw much other than freeze frames from the match. Yeah, so it was interesting that the, the stream didn't work in the first half. Cody, I know the kickoff time would have been insanely late on the East Coast. Um, so you probably didn't stay up to watch. Oh, it was nine o'clock, but like I was tired. So yeah, yeah. The second half, the second half ran completely fine. Whatever was going on with, uh, with the stream, they, they fixed it up. Shout out to the Uzbek FA or the AFC or whoever it was that realized they'd really messed it up and uh, kind of got it running thereafter. Now this was this was really intriguing because obviously we we we've had some intel, funnily enough, on uh, a, a few Iranian players that were in the team already, and much like uh, Iran's setup during uh, during last week, this was very much a similar mold of let's get as many players behind the ball as we can. Sydney FC were able to play through it and scored much earlier in the game than what the Matildas did, and then it was a case of just let's break through with this when we can. And, uh, yeah, it was a pretty comprehensive win. Shout out to Fiona Wirtz, obviously being Sydney FC's first ever goal scorer in a continental competition. Um, and yeah, just the, the comprehensive nature of the performance to sort of stand up. Cartoon, to their, to their credit, actually had, had a few moments here or there. They had a, an effort that just went over the bar. Um, that was pretty good. And a few, a few shots on net that, uh, the Iranian national team couldn't get past the Matildas. So if you're going to compare the two fixtures, I think Sydney FC actually did very, very well for what they had in front of them. Um, a very good start to, to the campaign as well, I think. Um, it'll be a very intriguing match day too. Nasaf have, I think, seven or eight national team players, as well as Incheon have a lot of South Korean national players. So the, the campaign is actually about to get very, very tough and very, very interesting. Let's hope uh, no more issues on that stream of ours. Um, Hopefully with, uh, no more streaming issues. That second game is at 2 o'clock in the morning on the Eastern Seaboard, I believe. So I may struggle to get up for that one. That may be a bit past my bedtime, unfortunately. Um, we'll move on. Another thing, just a little bit outside the A-League women's, obviously we've had the international break before the ne- last round of A-League fixtures were um, able to be played. So we're only really covering one week of dub, unfortunately, but there's plenty of international action. Matilda's A-League stars, obviously killing it, especially in that 8-0 win against the Philippines. That is absolutely fantastic. A Philippines side that did contain uh, Jacqueline Sawicki, Jess Cowett, uh, Kazada, um, Serena Bolden, former A-League player, Angela Beard, former A-League's player. Am I missing anyone? Um, uh, not off the top of my head. Um, and certainly in terms of the players that were starting and got a lot of action. Um, yeah. Sibuki, Kasada, 
um, a big sort of Western United and, and, and glory uh, contingent there. And obviously, we, we, we spent the week talking to Mark Takaso as well. So we were getting a lot yeah, of... Yeah, that's probably one that I should have remembered. Uh, from, from him as well. Um, but, you know, I thought that they had actually really held their own. The first game against Chinese Taipei, that was, that was a funny one in that Taipei had, had sort of taken the lead. But it was always pretty much well known that the Philippines were going to be quite comprehensive and... They really struggled in that earlier period. I know Tosada had a few few good moments here or there, but um, they sort of just came in at the, at the back end and and, and filled in uh, very well. A lot of a lot of the players that stood up, and then obviously that that game, second game. I mean, it speaks for itself. It's an annual loss. There's no way to really sugarcoat that. But how important for those players who are going to be at A League level to be playing that standard of of, of opponent um, in front of a crowd that big? That shows them that there's a future for Australian football, and there's. A bit of a nice path forward for them to be playing in the A-League uh, in this environment because you've, you've got Courtney Vine there, and I know she got injured, but you've got an A-League player in that Matilda's team, so it shows the level that you're at is a very good level. And a level that's well-supported as well. I think that's a, that's a, an important uh, metric that we took away from the, from the game at Optus as well from a Philippines perspective anyway. Um, just in some other international fixtures, Rui Gumula did score for China in one of their games in the... Olympic qualifiers, China obviously not going through to the next round, drawing with South Korea, I believe, North Korea got out of that group of all teams, as obviously Matt, you mentioned before. And I think this is the last group of people that got on the field in an international game this week, or in the last week. Milivojevic and Tyler J. Vlainic playing for Serbia in the UEFA Nations League. Uh, one all draw and a 2-1 loss to Poland, who, shout out Ian Pusinski, because I know he'll love this news, are actually starting to play at a really high standard in women's football. So that'll be an interesting path to follow. Uh, a little bit more headlines. Um, now focusing on the A-League women's, uh, Grace Kulamu, who's really burst out the blocks this season for Brisbane Raw. Unfortunately, it's been announced today, the day of recording, that she has now done her ACL, which definitely very sad news for a young star, 16 years old. Terrible injury to get this stage of, the, of her career. We definitely wish her all the best. Second ACL, I believe, this season, unless I'm missing a very important one. But um, Nat Tobin obviously going down in round one during the Sydney Derby. Sydney FC without their captain for the Asian Women's Club Championship and the rest of the A-League Women's season. But um, yeah, the ACL curse is really hitting the A-League Women's, isn't it, Matt? Well, I think it's interesting with uh, with Grace Kalamu because you have a really young attacking player who was an important asset to, I think, the surprising start that Brisbane had had and a lot of what we were really looking forward to see from the team. So in that respect, it's a massive shame, but also this this ongoing debate with uh, women's football and, and the likelihood of these injuries happening more and more and, and the ways that we're trying to counteract that. It's a very important talking point, but uh, more specifically in this case, it's actually just, just really tragic, if we're honest. Um, you know, being denied a, a really important asset in an exciting young player and uh, and a veteran alike. Uh, but let's hope we can sort of see less and less of this as time goes on um, because yeah, it's never a nice thing to, to happen, especially to someone of that age and someone of that impact uh, for a team like the Raw. No, 100%. Uh, we'll go to the results from the last week. Obviously, like I said, there's only one round of A-League women's action that we have seen since we last were in your ears, but um, Wellington Phoenix, and we are going to get to them in a minute, been on a massive rise recently. 2-1 over Brisbane Raw at home. Canberra at home as well, record crowd for a non-grand final match, falling short, unfortunately, to Perth Glory, who are now top of the table. Massive story going on in the West Coast, Matt. I'm sure you're well behind that. Melbourne victory, get their first win of the season, a 2-0 win over Adelaide. We're starting to see that defensive solidity that we all predicted that we would see from them this season really come to fruition. And on the Sunday, two draws. Western United and Melbourne City draw two all. Jets draw one all with the Wanderers after Cass Davis screamer 
I can't put more emphasis on that word screamer if I tried. That was one really, really beautiful strike. Matt, what's caught your eye over the last week? Yeah, look, it would obviously be, again, I'm, I'm sorry to just like be the Perth guy constantly talking about glory, but you can't look past what, what Perth did in, in Canberra. First time they've ever won in the ACT, Cody. The, the competition was founded 16 years ago, yeah? So pretty. And they've pretty been in deal. the competition for all those years since. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a very big deal. Um, it was very nice to see Tash Rigby score. I believe her second goal ever, at least her second goal ever at, um, you know, at, at, uh, W League slash A League women level. Yeah, no, that's correct. Yep. And, um, I think the biggest thing that we learned about this was we, we talk about the consistency with, with Alex and Parkas, but also the, the mentality really came through today. They held, they held the lead. All three, all three of those goals that they had were goals to put them in the lead. Canberra came back again and again and again, and we know the the, the attacking grit that, that a very experienced Canberra forward line has. But Perth had what what it took to counteract that, which again, much like the Western game, it's very impressive considering they've come into this season with a very unexperienced backline. Um, so just yeah, really really commendable, and definitely the, the I think the biggest takeaway of the round, given that they are the only team sitting there on, on nine points. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. Probably what stands out to me is Wellington Phoenix first time. They have gotten back-to-back wins, and we are going to get into them now because this is quite a story happening over across the ditch. Someone who, obviously, Matt, you predicted, I believe you predicted them to come last. I was more ambitious, and I said they'd come second last, and now they're making us both look really, really stupid. So I think Wellington Phoenix has really taken all of us, at least in Australia, by surprise. I'd love to hear what the sentiment is in New Zealand if they thought that this was coming. I know, um, shout out Ethan Franson was um, someone that was banging on the drum saying that they'd definitely make the top six this season. And if they start picking up more points, you're going to have to put them almost in the title conversation or at least the top four conversation. If, you, if they win next week and you're getting nine points from 12, that is not a return to scoff at. But we'll focus on what they have done so far. They obviously came last last season. Wooden Spoon, two years in a row in their first two seasons in the A-League Women's. This season, they come out the blocks against Melbourne City. No one's really expecting them to get a result, but they'd look for a large part of that match like they actually could get something out of it. Melbourne City obviously ran away with it in the end. Not even ran away with it. They got a 1-0 win off a deflection after Wellington Phoenix really peppered their goal for a good 30 minutes, and it looked like they were going to be the ones to break the deadlock. But you have two ways that you can go after that result. Either you build on it, you take confidence from what you did do right, or you sit there like what they did a lot of times last season where they did play well and couldn't get a result, and they let it build up, build up, build up, and they just couldn't get themselves anywhere, really. You go to the next game against the Wanderers, and you go and smack them 3-0 in a game that you're not really dominating. And as the game goes on, they're probably, Wanderers probably slowly looking like the likelier ones to score. And you have these players that suddenly it's just like there's a bit of X factor about this team now where they are able to, even if they only create a few chances, really get on top, really be able to take them. And as they grew into the game, after that second goal, it was all one-way traffic going Wellington's way. Suddenly, never a team that's never won two games in a row was able to host one of the informed sides of the competition, one that we were banging on about in the last episode, undefeated, 100% record, just beaten Sydney FC, able to have this team come to your ground and you sit there and go, no, you're in our turf, we're going to make this a fortress, you're going to have a really tough day out. Spec Meyer once again stepping up, and Ali Longo with a great finish as well, and you're able to see out a game against the Brisbane Royal side that did play quite well by all means, so... We're going to talk about Wellington Phoenix for a good period here because they really do deserve it. So, Matt, you chime in here. What have you seen from this side this year and where does this turnaround come from? What did we miss in preseason for this to be happening right now? As far as the preseason predictions are concerned, right, 
I think we, 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 we both held on to the mentality that this is a team that they've not shown any signs of progress. They're sticking with that sort of youth development theme a little bit. And it was all about them trying to find a sense of direction. We, we couldn't identify what that direction was. Let me tell you what we've actually seen them play. Compared to uh, the two seasons prior, we saw a team that stood off, that respected their opponents far too much, and that really made every excuse under the sun about the fact that, oh, we're, we're a developing team, we're a young team, we're not really going to have time on the ball, we're not going to have time to express ourselves. Well, I can tell you that in every single game, they've had their fair share of shots, they've had 10 plus shots in every single game. They have uh, outpossessed the opponent, um, so they're willing to be more expressive, they're willing to have more of the ball, they're willing to have more of their say. They're actually telling these players now, by the way, you're good enough. You're good enough to be on the ball. You're good enough to show your opponent what your worth is. And that wasn't installed in their DNA in the two uh, previous seasons, right? So they're able to come to a Melbourne City, really shock them on home turf, and really play a player style where I think they probably should have got something out of that game despite the fact that they didn't. And then, you know, to, by contrast with Brisbane, they really showed up for that game and, and Brisbane didn't, didn't know what to do. Um, I think it's also very interesting in the, in the Wondrous game the, the mentality there was the biggest difference because with the Wanderers, there's all sorts of drama going on there. But with, uh, with, with Wellington, they had all uh, an abundance of confidence and they were able to take the game by the scruff of the neck. I look at their first season under Gemma Lewis and I do see shades of a side that did have the confidence to really get themselves on the ball and try and play an attractive brand of football where they had the quality to do that at a noticeable level was probably the question there. I don't know if they were the side they were going to, they were never a side in that season that we're always going to have the majority of possession. But you could see when they did have possession, they were trying to hold on to it. They were trying to play out. Maybe under Nat Lawrence, they started sitting back a little bit. I'd argue the football wasn't as attractive, but players were maturing. You were able to get a few more results. They definitely looked better than the season before, even if maybe the coaching wasn't at the same level. But it's like with Paul Temple, you're getting that maturity that we've seen over the last couple of years, plus a return to the style of play that Gemma Lewis was trying to implement. But with players that are at a higher level that can do that at an A-League level and assert themselves on football matches. And you look at some of the young players they've gotten in, I don't, I saw something about there was a couple of rule changes that allowed them to build a squad that was more to their liking. I don't know too much of the ins and outs about that, so I'm not going to go into detail about what it is because I don't want to put out information that is false. I think but, it was to do uh, something that Taylor mentioned on, on Dubzone. I think it was to do with the amount of uh, not foreign players, but Australian players that could be recruited for more more of an impact on the team. Is it a thing of maybe they had to have a certain amount of Australian players and they started players. and now they've let it, yeah. they're letting them stick to yeah. the New Zealand talent because obviously this is the first season where they haven't had a single proper, well, not proper Australian, but like right. Australian no link so to New that. Zealand kind of player. Like I know Kelly Brown's, I think she's half Aussie, half Kiwi. Brown Edwards is another right. example of that. But this is a full New Zealand side. And you look at some players that probably were overlooked in the past, someone like Macy Fraser, who went to that under-20s World Cup, I believe, to under-17s World Cup before, was in the squad with... The likes of Grace Wisniewski, uh, Alyssa Wynnum, Kate Taylor, those sorts of players never got a chance at the senior level with Wellington Phoenix. It's only Paul Temple that's come in and given her that opportunity because he's worked with her in the past. But if you look at someone like her and think, how the hell was she not got given an early contract earlier? She's fantastic. Yeah, uh, but I also think that with regards to the depth, I mean, something I've found that you take uh, two players that I picked out in both Kate Taylor, who came through academy ranks, someone like Mackenzie Barry, who's been there since season one, I think they've, they've both amassed 40 plus caps. I, I think I might be right. Maybe it's like 35. They've, they've amassed, uh, 
enough experience simply being in the setup, staying in the setup, and growing with the rest of the setup, both in terms of development, tactics, you know, any any way that they're able to sort of change their style of play, the different coaches that they've worked under, and you and you're comparing that with the way that they've developed in the national team setups as well. But just sticking around and and being experienced has made them all round better rounded players. I think it's particularly fascinating because that's sort of exactly what we envisioned when they played their first ever game, right? Was that they just needed these girls to stick around each other, stay in the setup for a longer amount of time, and have more belief in themselves. So when we talk about the mentality, that's what it really comes down to. It comes down to sort of believing that, that you're at that level now, that you can perform at that level, and you're seeing it in real time with experienced players who have, who have been in the team for long enough now. Yeah, no, I get what you mean. And look, it probably comes from experience that last season they showed signs that they could be this really quality team. Maybe they were missing that little bit of confidence to actually go out and see out results in a way. I guess that's probably one thing that's holding them back a little bit. But this just looks like almost a completely different team. And even some of the players, like you mentioned, Kate Taylor, Mackenzie Barry, who were there in the past, um, Foster, who only came into the side last season, has been an absolute rev- uh, revelation herself. And Lee Longo, I believe, came in this season. She's been fantastic. And She's the always main... been an experience. Someone like Longo has always been an experienced international and someone yeah. that in the mould of a Lily Upfeld was sort of destined to play for this team, right, and destined to be there as a leader, so... Well, she's not it's, it's playing, to, to be fair. No, 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 but what, what She's but still what part of the club, of course, but she's not yeah, having yeah, that yeah, on-field but, impact. But, but, Cody, I'm talking about Longo, yeah? So Longo I has... I oh, know, I said Lily Elfeld, <laughs> but Longo has replaced Elfeld literally as the captain in the Ah, uh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, 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 I got yeah. No, you're right. Got, got but, confused also, for a sec. Do apologise. No, 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 okay. you, you, I think you, you emote two players that I'd like to talk about anyway. Macy Fraser's development as well. I don't know if you wanted to expand on that. But also Manaya Elliott. Start on Manaya Elliott. I've spoken a fair bit about Macy Fraser, not just in this episode, but in episodes gone past as well. Um, look, I, I find it fascinating with, with Manaya Elliott anyway, right? Because I feel like from an Australian perspective, you can look at a young talent like that and think, yeah, okay, you're, you're someone that it's clearly going to be a very fun watch, much like a lot of these young players that are coming through. We talk about the, the, the abundance of teenagers playing for the Wanderers, for example, right? That we're excited to watch. Someone, um, you know, we we're talking about uh, the, the, the impact at Brisbane as well. Um, but with regards to someone like Minari Elliott, we, we can just miss, completely miss her development and miss her talent. And so we're actually there watching it in real time. It's another reason why I think that Wellington is someone that we tip lower because we know that they're still working as a development club. But someone like Minai Elliott sort of coming onto the scene and, and, and playing really, really good high level of football, um, that's, you know, it's someone that's a joy to watch and someone that we rate now, but maybe we're overlooking coming into the season. Yeah. Look, I rem- one thing that I picked out about her, there was a footage of, um, I believe it was Wellington Phoenix's friendly against the Mariners where. One of the goals they scored, I can't remember who the goal scorer was, but there was footage of this goal going on, this really mazy run, and setting up basically an open goal for someone to finish it off. I made sure I asked who the hell was making that run, because no one really set it anywhere, and unfortunately the camera was that far back, I couldn't see it. I was introduced to Manaya earlier that way, because I believe it was Philip Rollo that replied and saying, that's her, that's her name, that's who she is. And since then, I've been like, okay, this is someone that we need to pay attention to this season, because... This is X Factor. Like I've said plenty of times, that's something that Wellington Phoenix have been missing. Now they have it in abundance. You're talking between her, Fraser, we mentioned as well, Speckmeyer, I think someone that we've really got to show some love to as well. I think their visa recruitment's actually been very, very good as well. Haley Davidson, someone that's been a shrewd piece of business too. Um, Riley Foster, of course, has been immense in goals. Obviously didn't play on the weekend. Brent Edwards, very, very much suitable replacement for her. But Speckmeyer is one that's really been taking the league by storm, bringing that bit of that, um, South American flair, someone who's 
experience the current international for Venezuela. You're not talking about a scrub by any means. You're talking about a really high quality recruit that wouldn't look out of place at any A-League club. So the fact that she's bringing that experience to Wellington Phoenix is fantastic. And I guess because of her background, um, if you could make a comparison to collegiate players that have gone on to play for other national teams, because that that's what she is, a lot of them have sort of failed to, to live up to that mold, taking another step. Um, look look at the domestic uh, career of someone like Riley Tanner from Panama, right? She's she's just an American girl who's trying to find her way through the system. And I got a similar vibe with Beck Meyer that coming into this level of competition, you'd have doubts about how she's performing. Clearly, clearly that's not the case. Um, and, I, and as you say, Caps for Venezuela, make of it what you will. I think in terms of the women's program there in South America, there's a lot of work to be done. You can't really rate a lot of that experience just because it's not structured in the same way that men's football is, yeah? Um, but look, she's proven us wrong. Um, she has actually stepped up to be quite a, quite a nifty recruit. And I think a lot of the belief in uh, Wellington to be able to say, you know what, now we can dip our toes into the international market and look for a player like Speckmeyer is also a really, really important uh, part of their development as well, right? And I know that sounds silly because you're not putting a young Kiwi player in their place, but it, it, that's like you need to progress as a, as a football organization in other ways. And the fact that they're willing to um, help a few of these, uh, you know, American based, okay, she's a Venezuelan international, but you know what I mean, that those collegiate level players to really step out into the professional football space and to, and to have that impact is a really, really important thing. And, and something that shows that they're growing, growing as a team and able to play a really high, high quality level as well. I think also as a forward, she does a lot off the ball that's really impressive. Do you know what I mean? She can, she can press well. She can get into the wider areas. She can be an attacking threat, a bit of a, a bit of a 360 dimensional player almost. Uh, and that's something that you really, really need when you're a team that, that relies on, on a certain style of attack as well. Yeah. Something that often goes understated with a player like Speckmeyer. She shows a lot of ability on the ball. You sometimes miss what she does off it too, I guess. Actually, one question for you before we do move on. Something I'm a little bit curious about, because obviously, like I said earlier, we weren't sure about what this one at the Phoenix side was going to offer this season. And in a way, we probably did underrate them. Do you think that this is a case of us in Australia? We're probably just unaware of the talent that is coming through New Zealand. Is that probably the reason why most Australians haven't rated this Phoenix side highly coming into this season? I think especially with the women's team, it was quite pronounced in what their strategy was as a team and where they were looking to go. So I think, you know, as always, when it comes to younger, talented Kiwi teams, we can miss a lot because we just, we, we don't see it. We've never heard of it. But in the women's team, that was especially pronounced, right? Because they literally were just pumping players out that we, we knew nothing about. Does that justify our poor decision making? No, probably not. We're journalists. We should do our research. Uh, but. But but also, yeah, look, it, it obviously is a factor in, in, in how that was gonna turn out. And I still think that, you know, let's let's not let's not make it out that this is a team that's contending for the league. I think that they're still in a development phase, but they're clearly clearly showing a lot that's right right now. And to be fair, they sit third in the league. So <laughs> you know, maybe maybe they are pumping something special out. But I think if you if you compare it to the Colder United, Western United situation that went on and compare it with what New Zealand have going on with the Phoenix. You, you see what I mean? Like, like we were able to be like, yeah, these colder players are freaking incredible. Western's going to be a very good team, uh, even if people were chipping the mid table. They still saw the value there. Whereas with with the Phoenix side, maybe not so much. So I think you, you bang on with that assessment. Yeah. Well, yeah, it comes from the fact that well, like this is a side that probably still played together as a youth team, but over in New Zealand's football league and their football um, pyramid structure. Whereas Calder United, when West United was building that side, we got to see them compared to other. NPL Victoria sides, and we knew what that level of ability was. We were more familiar with that. I do think the reason why we've probably rated them so low is because 
we're not as familiar on this side of the ditch with the New Zealand football period when unaware of the quality that comes on, that, that comes out over there. If I knew the level of what Manaya Elliott, Macy Fraser, and the likes of those MMA as well you can throw in there, if I knew the um, level they were able to play at before I decided I was picking who, where teams are going to finish this season, if I, if I knew the ability of those players before I was talking about how Wellington were going to go this season, my answer would probably be a lot different. Looking at it now, knowing the quality they have in that team, I definitely have a different outset on this side. Instead of talking about a bottom pack sort of team, I'm now looking at them as probably a team that can push for finals. And that's where I kind of want to lead on to the next part to kind of wrap this up. Do Are they able to maintain this? I think that's probably the biggest question going forward because it's a fast start. It's a great start for them. But this is a side that probably still has a lot of players that are quite inexperienced. So does that fall through at some stage or is this a side that has the quality to see it through? I think I think they're definitely what they won't do is they won't really fall to being the bottom national team. I think that they're better than they're better than what we've seen of Adelaide so far. They're better than a, a Western Sydney. So they're throw Adelaide under the bus straight away. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it later. We actually we actually will talk about it later. Um, <laughs> but I think that they have what it takes to maybe finish seventh or eighth. But also bearing in mind that when it comes to teams that jump up into the six and that are challenging into the six, not only do we have teams like Brisbane and Perth thrown into the mix, but we also have Sydney who are underperforming, Western United who are underperforming. That'll sort of have a, there'll, there'll be a balancing act in the coming weeks. Do you know what I mean? So where that puts Wellington, I, I don't know, but they've obviously still beaten our expectations is, is what I would say to you. Yeah, 100%. It's a fantastic story so far. Hopefully it continues. All right, moving on. Um, as Matt mentioned before, we are going to go through that kind of bottom pack. The teams that are winless so far, we've got three that are yet to win a game, all on one point, separated only by goal difference. Canberra United, Adelaide, and Western Sydney Wanderers. Now, two of those sides, to their credit, have actually done pretty well in front of goal. Canberra scored seven goals this season and actually have the best attack in the competition so far, but they also have the worst defence. Still on a minus two goal difference. They're coming 10th. Adelaide's in 11th with minus three. Five goals scored. Western Sydney Wanderers, only the one, only six goals conceded, but so doing better defensively than the two above them. But a little bit of an interesting way to start the season. Now, Wanderers, both of us probably weren't seeing too much in them um, heading into the season, And although I don't know how it felt with you, but I felt like Amy Harrison definitely put a lot more confidence in me about the side, um, the way she spoke about what they were kind of building over there. Adelaide, someone that we kind of thought was mid-pack anyway, probably wouldn't have been surprised if we saw them lingering towards the bottom, probably be surprised if we see them at the bottom. But Canberra, who I really banged on about at the start of the season, are also down there too. Now, I did say that they'd have a great attack, and I have been justified in the fact that they have scored the most goals in the competition. Um, probably didn't take into account too much their defense. So that one's on me. Another screw-up that I've made. Um, probably swap Wellington Canberra around at this stage. Do you, do you remember my preseason prediction on Canberra and what I said? You said that I'd be wrong. And you questioned why I'd have them above Melbourne City. Yeah, yeah, but do you, right, but do you actually literally remember my analysis of the team and what I said about You them said you were worried about them defensively. That's exactly why I'm bringing this up, because I knew yes. you'd, be, you'd feel vindicated right now. Yes. So, so you know. But just look at the team on paper. It, it Actually, it takes very, very little to, to figure this out. They have an insanely stacked forward line and no one behind them. Like, yeah, it's awesome that Cannonclough s- stood up and scored a goal against bloody Perth. But like, c- c- come on, you, you, you put a team with, uh, with, uh, Vesna Milivojevic and, uh, and, uh, Maria Rojas and Michelle Heyman there. 
yeah, they're going to be the top scoring team in the league. That's great. But you actually need to do more than that. And it's insane how, like, to a T, the way they look on paper is to how they perform. It's, it's kind of crazy. I also look. think that all this talk about Wellington and Perth with how they perform mentally is a very big, very big thing with Canberra. Because yeah, they were able to come back once and then twice. And, uh, and they gave away a penalty that was pretty soft. And there was a lot of things in the game where your mentality would really be affected. And that's where the leaders in the team do so much to say, like, yeah, we can do this. And we can bring ourselves into the game. But all that does is help create more chances and get them playing on the front foot. It, it makes the defense even leakier, right? Because all they're doing is let's attack, 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 attack. And their discipline goes out the window. And they give away, they give away this penalties to Sakala. So before you know it, Perth are running away with the match. So, like, the, 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 they really ought to sort this out. Like, it's, it's, it's a problem. Yeah, look, I was, I'm looking at their back line as well. You've still got Chloe Lincoln in there, who's a fantastic young keeper. Tegan Bertalicia, who we saw a lot of in the MPL New South Wales, and I have, I still have high expectations or high hopes for her, I guess is probably the better word. Someone who I still think can be a great player at an A-League level. I guess you can say it is, look, maybe a little bit of an inexperienced back line in a way. Not an inexperienced back line, but definitely a, a we're new not, we're back line. sort of like Wanderers or Wellington, let's just pump a bunch of teenagers in there and, and hope things go well. We're, like, we're still talking a team. About that a solid football team. Yeah, for sure. But you're talking about a five-star forward line here. And <laughs> let me just say- I'm Kind again, of ignoring the back. back. There's no, no defense, just vibes. That's what I'm thinking yeah, right now. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're but- a vibes team and the vibes did not work against Perth. Yeah, look, I guess the vibes haven't really worked at all this season. You have that game against Adelaide where, look, they probably should have put that one away. And, and that- to be honest, I know so I know that it was an away fixture, which does change things a little bit, but that Adelaide game is like the complete antithesis of what we're talking about here, right? Because how, how do you get gifted goals? They were, there were some absolute major screw-ups from Adelaide defensively. Yeah, look, how are you gifted goals like that in a game where you're able to score four and you, you don't run away with three points in that game? Like literally, that that is that is simply unacceptable. It's a, that is a really, really, really big red flag. Because imagine, imagine creating in a, in a one-off finals game. Let's say they let's say they make the six because they're a good enough team to be playing in the six anyway. You you need you need that solid like you know you, you need to be able to perform at that moment and you need to you need to capitalize on the small things but you need to not let the small mistakes get into your own head. You really need to be on top of your game in, in a one-off finals game and. Canberra show none of that right now. So should they make the six, yeah, they could get thumped in a final with, with, with the way they're playing. Yeah, it could be a case of in a finals game, they'll score one or two and concede a few, which is a shame because I still, look, I still think this is a side that can be pushing for finals. And if things kind of click together at the back, once things click together at the back, I think they'll be a tough team to beat. Not as strong as, say, a Melbourne victory at the back, but they'll be solid enough to be able to get themselves up the ladder. You talk about those sides that are underperforming. They're probably in that category right now. Move on to the next one, Adelaide, where they're another side that is solid going forward. And, you know, you mentioned the first match round against Canberra. They weren't really gifted any goals. They had maybe some of the penalties, um, decisions. Canberra probably should have been doing better in some of those situations, but they did have to work. They did have to get themselves in those areas. They did have to work for the goals they scored. They had to come back late in, the, in that game as well. There's a lot that you can say good about Adelaide going forward. And you look at the weekend that went by. I think that's just more a case of the Melbourne victory set up very well at the back to Adelaide. It doesn't offer much going forward, but. Unfortunately, Adelaide aren't offering a lot at the back either. The um, game against Mariners is probably a game where they didn't really gift a lot to the opposition either. Um, Richards, who made her debut in that game, was fantastic. Grove, a little bit underperforming this season for someone that we know to be a very high-quality goalkeeper. We probably haven't seen her at her best. If you look at this Adelaide side, where do you see the issues right now? 
Look, I think when, when we looked at them, we, we thought, you know, that there's something missing here. The recruitment isn't good enough. Our colleague, Antonis, uh, chatted with, with Stenter and it was like, you know what? We'll get the ball rolling. We'll, we'll have some, some good recruitment. Things will sort of tick into place sh- slowly, but surely. And, and I don't actually think we've seen a sign of that. It's no disrespect to Adrian Stenter. Certainly no disrespect to the girls in the squad. But there's clearly something missing, and it just hasn't been addressed. Um, they're able to to show up to a game where they can they can spoil the result. You know, they can take uh, Canberra to a draw or victory to a draw. But what is what is that based on? And I think it's actually based on the incompetency and the, and the small mistakes of their op- opponents more than them actually more being in control, being good on the ball. You know, scoring scoring a lot and creating a lot of chances. I, I personally think that it comes down yeah it comes down to them just not being good enough, not having the depth. And I think should an informed side get in their way, bearing in mind that we have Perth playing Adelaide soon, and we know that the complete difference in mentality and a lot of the difference there that's proving to be a winner or a loser for other side, things might actually get pretty ugly there. And um, maybe I'm maybe I'm being way too harsh, but I don't I don't see a side that can really get on top of, of their situation right now. And I think it's purely down to the, the, the recruitment and, and the talent that's in the team. I feel like there's probably going to be a sense, at least over the next couple of years, that Adelaide try and implement a system similar to what we've seen in the men's, where they try and bring a lot of talented youngsters to put them on a platform where they can get regular minutes so that when they hit that 19, 20-year age, they are able to be first-team A-League players. And that's a situation that does take time, I guess. And for a side that, you know, there are a lot of talented youngsters there, maybe they just need that little bit more experience at an A-League level. And I don't just think it's a development thing as, as well, though. Look at the experienced players in the team, right? You're, when you're looking at someone like Anna Blake, and I can attest to this because I saw a lot of her in person with, with Perth, you have a player there that is very, very influential, is very, very good, is a very good leader, Jantowski Jan, uh, as well. But the issue that they have is that they're not like big star players. They can't stand up and be leaders in the team. So I just think it's it's just naturally a case of this. They're, they're inexperienced. Not, not in that they're young and developing, but they just don't, they don't have enough experienced heads. They don't have enough big players. Um, could you honestly sit here and tell me that Hannah Blake is like an incredible leader and someone that should be, should be going in to a, to a season as someone that, that's going to be a capable, you know, captain or, or leader for a football There's team? There's someone like, that I'm so. talking about in that regard. Alani Ansevsky was probably that person at Berlin Lions in the NPL Victoria season. They did quite well as well. I think they're in the grand final. I can't remember how that game went exactly. You're talking about someone that was a really, really big player for them, was scoring a lot of their goals from what I was able to see. This is, but this is now her first chance at 22 years old as well, or there or thereabouts, to be the main player at an A-League club. Now, I mentioned Adelaide men's strategy where they can bring these young players through. They give them enough experience between the years of 17 and 20. So when they do hit that age, they are able to take that pressure and they are able to perform at that level. We're only just starting to see that now where. You know, the inverse has happened. She hasn't had that experience as a young player. She's really, um, you would have seen a lot of her at She was a bit more of a big part player, make her impact off the bench. Now she's expected to start, not just start, but lead the line each week. It's a massive pressure to put on her. And that's the reason why I didn't hold too much expectation with Adelaide because I look at their side and I look at her as a focal point. And yeah, 100% she's a quality player. The next factor player is or someone that will be entertaining for fans, but probably needs time to get used to the pressure of being the focal point of an A-League club. And I, it's not something that happens overnight, unfortunately. Western Sydney Wanderers. Now, this is a club that we have spoken about in depth right across since we've done this show, since the start of the year when we actually started this. Um, someone that we've been a bit indifferent about there or thereabouts, obviously very critical of them last season. This season, though, 
I'd argue they don't look as bad as what results have shown. There's a decent style of play there. They're able to hold onto the ball. They're able to create chances. But they don't ever look like they're going to be able to finish them. And I think that's the biggest thing. They're probably missing a real ruthless figure up front now. They did have one in Serena Bolden last season. And it just makes me question, if they had that figurehead up top this season, would things be looking a lot different right now? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I think we're both in agreement that they probably should have been the better side and hung on for the victory against Newcastle, but for an incredible strike from Cass Davis. When, when well, that's yeah, look, I'll, I'll hate to interrupt you just quickly, though. The reality is, if Cass Davis doesn't do that, we're not having this conversation about the Wanderers right now. So it's, it is fine yeah. margins, I guess. It's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a fine, it's a fine margin, but I, I think you're also right. I think there is still obviously a structural issue within the team and something that they need to, to address, right? Um, when you have leading figures in the team that are standing up and saying, yeah, look at all this young talent we have. I mean, Amy, Amy Harrison literally said to us, right? Like, look at the talent we have. Look at the direction we're going in. You know, Robbie says this. Robbie has this belief. I'd, I'd question, is that actually true? And, and I don't, I don't mean that in like a, let, let's be critical and point the finger and have the hostility that we've had towards the Wanderers in the history of this program. I'm, I'm just saying, like, are you are you really sort of telling us that things are okay just for appearances' sake? Because I, I just get the the idea that no matter who comes into that team, there's just a broken structure there. There's just a team that can't really possess a lot of quality, and I think that that goes beyond anything that anyone in the team can do. I, I think that there's just something deeply rooted there that's that's broken and that. You know, no matter how they perform, and, and even when they're performing well, they're not quite going to get what they want. And I think, uh, again, you know, the, the Newcastle game summarised that in a, in a very big way. Um, they're, they're performing well enough to, to certainly not be a basket case anymore. But yeah, I, I'm still, I'd still question a lot of what's going on there. See, no, I, in some ways, I do trust what Amy's saying. I think when, when she spoke to us, and she was able to say, "Look, we've got this young talent coming through. We've got a coach that's been able to make a change very quickly in this team, and you can see there is a new style of play there that." is a little bit more easier on the eye. Not just that, but it actually looks like they're able to get forward more. Like I said before, I think their issue is just more in the, in the box, having that figurehead that's able to put those chances away. And even if you look outside Serena Bolden, someone like Ashley Cross probably would be a decent pickup for him. I, I'd, I'd buy into what she's saying. I think the only thing that I'd probably question is, she said, it's not something that happens overnight, of course, but it's not something that they want to take a long time for it to implement. I'd argue it is going to take a long time to implement. You look at where the side's coming from, and I understand they finished seventh last year which by all accounts isn't that bad. But I don't know if they were genuinely the seventh best team in the competition. I'd argue sides like Brisbane probably just had a little bit of a dip towards the end of the season, and that's why... And they, and they had a freakishly good run as well, let's not forget that. Yeah, exactly. Like there, there were factors there that, were able to, that probably made them look last season a bit better than what they are. But now, unfortunately, the latter shows them looking worse than what I believe they are. Like I said, like right now, they're coming last. Cass Davis um, doesn't do what she does on Sunday. We're not talking about Wanderers in the way that we are now. We're saying, yep, they've got their win on the board. This is something they can build on or something of that kind of fashion. Unfortunately, they, that didn't happen. And now we are having this conversation. I think the biggest thing you've got to talk about with them is they scored one goal this season and it's been from a set piece from their centre back. So there is, there's, there's definitely something there that probably needs to be addressed in their side. And I think it's a recruitment thing. And look, we had a lot to say about them last season and suddenly they bring a striker in a lot of those questions that were answered. So that's why I don't really want to jump the gun and say that there is this massive structural issue going on because I don't think that that is as prevalent of a case anymore or that is the case anymore in any way. But there is, uh, there is a squad build, there is an issue with the squad build up. I think they're probably missing 
a, a finisher of a number nine. You've got someone like Sophie Harding there who can kind of lead the line in a way, but she's not someone who's going to score you a lot of goals. I still argue her best position is playing out wide, but they pro- they need someone there that really can get on the end of chances to finish them. Like I said, Ashley Cross is available. Probably someone great that would be very happy to answer the phone right now. Yeah, I, I, I can only sort of agree with you there. I think um a bit more attacking flair and a bit more attacking confidence would, would change that team for the better, but I still think they're limited by a lot that goes on off the pitch. Uh, and that's just that's just the reality of the situation and, and how the how the team is being run. Can I just flip the conversation back to Adelaide for a second? What yeah, position sure. if, if Adelaide were to recruit one player, one sort of star player right now, what position do you think they need to look at the most? Oh, that's a tough one actually. I've got to think about that. Do you know why that is? Do you know why it's a do you know why it's a it's a really tough choice? Because they're I don't okay. I won't go as far as to say that they're incompetent. Jeez, I love I love I love thinking really big words and then realizing that's not the best thing to say. You think really harsh words and it's like, oh that might be a bit too much. Yeah, I I tend to do that a lot on this I don't do it on the men's program, but I tend to do it a lot on this one. Oh god. No, but but I think it's just because uh, with Adelaide in particular, just thinking about this and thinking about the comparison with the Wanderers. I think with the Wanderers, you can still say there's one or two players where, like, you're really good for the position that you play. You're really good for the asset that you bring to the team. With Adelaide, I think that they're lacking something in all three major departments of the, of the pitch. And that, for me, is, like, the really the really big thing that's a, a glaring concern for, for them going forward is that I just, I just don't, don't, don't think of a, a single position where it's like you've got to, you've got to pick someone out who, you know, we, we can, we can bring someone into this team to help. And I think that's a really big headache for Adrian Center going forward. Well, look, um, Emily Condon. It's probably somewhere we're still waiting to come back. Rishka Wilders has just come back into the side. Isabel Hodgson has just come back into the side as well. With those players returning, we, I guess we can see how that changes things. And look, we'll move, look ahead to what they what those three teams have coming ahead. Canberra uh, were meant to play Sydney FC. Obviously, that game's been rescheduled. So that, but um, until the next time we record, they only have uh, Wanderers away. Wanderers play Melbourne City before that game. Um, that Canberra game, which was meant to be in Bathurst, has now been moved back to Western Sydney. Adelaide have to go to Perth and then host Sydney FC. Adelaide do have some tough games coming up, and I think uh, like you start playing against Canberra Mariners, they're probably the games you need to pick up points because now it is going to be a bit of a struggle. So there probably are a few warning signs there, but that Canberra-Western Sydney game in two weeks' time could prove to be vital because let's just say Sydney, Western Sydney don't win against uh, Melbourne City, which wouldn't be an outlandish thing to say considering the quality of Melbourne City. Suddenly that game against Canberra, both of those sides, if either don't win or the draw is obviously a possible outcome, but whoever doesn't come out of that match a winner is really in a precarious position because five games into the season and you're winless, that's that's a concern too. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. I also think, <laughs> I also think that... Um it's a it's it's a real uh, contrast in uh, in broken mentalities going against each other. You know, which team which team has more to fix up? Let's let's go let's go square on the team that has structural admission uh, administrative problems, or the team that has a structural on the pitch problem. Which which mentality is going to win out for the day? <laughs> yeah, look, I'll tell you what. Being at home as well, Wanderers could really prove to be something in that match. We'll look ahead to the rest of the fixtures coming up. In the A-League Women's, obviously, there is a fortnight until we play, until we record again, and we have a full fortnight of fixtures bar, obviously, Sydney FC, uh, one game they have rescheduled because of the Asian Women's Club Championship. So, start off with the 11th of November, Melbourne Victory, Newcastle Jets, Perth Glory host Adelaide United, 
Sunday the 12th, Wellington Phoenix play host to Western United. Mariners play against Brisbane. Melbourne City play against the Wanderers. We move over to the 18th of November the following week. Wanderers are at home to Canberra. That is back in Western Sydney, as I just said. Uh, Mariners host the Phoenix. Perth Glory hosts the Victory. Adelaide hosts Sydney FC. Brisbane Raw hosts Western United. Newcastle Jets host Melbourne City. I be- I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark, Matt. The game that you'd be looking forward to, Perth and Adelaide. Uh, well, let me just say this, because I've, I've picked out a few narratives across the board, and I'll just go, th- I'll just run through them all now. Go for it, my guy. Obviously, yeah, Perth, Perth being at home twice, um, if you want to stay on top of the league, obviously you're beating someone like the Adelaide, uh, beating someone like Adelaide, you followed through with a bit of a nervy performance against the Jets, it'll be exactly the same dynamic. I don't think Perth will win the game comfortably, because I just think Adelaide will have too much to prove. Um, despite what I just said earlier about, you know, the mentality could get lost. They could concede a lot of goals. Because that, that could very well happen. It, it could, but I don't see it happening. Uh, is, is sort of where I differentiate that. So, yeah. Uh, and then, and then, you know, if you follow that up and you win, win the game routinely enough, you've got to play victory at home, which is interesting because that puts you at, you're still undefeated. You've got a really big shot team to play now. You, you've got to go out there and, and give it everything. So that's something to look forward for, uh, in the next fortnight. Also, Wellington. What Wellington do against both Western and the Mariners is crucial to deciding their true form and, and how we read the rest of their season, I think, because Western are a team that are down on their luck should be a lot higher on the ladder than, than where they currently are, and they're coming up against the inverse. They're coming up against a side that maybe doesn't have as much individual quality, but is performing really, really well, and I think that Western and Wellington game is the pick of the round, personally. Um, what I would also say is that uh, victory, victory going to Perth after potentially making a big statement against the Jets is a really, really big one to look out for, and also Sydney going away to a place like Adelaide, where they should be expected to win under the circumstances, how do they balance that with continental football? So I think the, fort- the next fortnight has really, really exciting narratives across the board, to be honest with you, Cody. I'm going to respond to two of those. Now, Perth have two home games coming up. You've just had the Matildas in your backyard. Lots of people getting out for that. The hype around women's football there, especially with the Sam Kerr Centre opening, is really high, I guess, is the best way to put it. You have this game against Adelaide. Perth are currently coming first. If they win that game against Adelaide, they'll stay first. Then you're hosting Melbourne Victory that has all these Matildas and ex-Matildas in their side. Uh, look, I know crowd um, conversations can get a bit tedious, but are you expecting bumper crowds at least by that Melbourne Victory game? Uh, to be honest with you, no. Um, both games are at Macedonia Park, and the one game that the team had, Matildas talk included, the one game that they had at HBF Park, given all the hullabaloo, given what Alex personally told me in, in the build-up, it's only attracted 1,300 people. So, so no. See, when I say bumper um, crowds, I mean, can you push for that 2K figure? At Mazo Park? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Ho- hopefully there's a few extra hundred people, but I've, I've got to be honest with you, I don't actually see there being a really, really big, big revival. And all you, to, to talk about sort of the, the Matildas fever and everything else, I just think that Perth's, Perth's issue is, yeah, they're going to play great football, they have a great mentality, they have a great coach, but they don't actually have a star player. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like they, they have a star player... For people like me and you to understand, Tash Rigby, someone like Tash Rigby, someone like Hannah Lowry, they're legends, right? But does mainstream Australia know who they are? Uh, and that's just the nature of it, to be honest. It's unfortunate, but I guess that's the landscape of things sometimes in Australia. Um, but just to end it, I have one big question for you, and it does relate to something you actually just said. Sydney FC, how do they look when they come back from Asia? You're talking about three games in a short space of time, then going away to Adelaide. What does this team look like when they get back to Australia? Yeah, we're seeing in real time the effect that a lot of continental travel is having on our men's team. So I think MacArthur, the Mariners, and City have all been 
have all had a problem exposed by the travel. Um, and I think it, it stems from you have a re- an insanely long off season and then you have to back it up with an intent, an, an extremely intense schedule. And the contrast between the two is, is really hard to deal with. It's a very similar case here in that, I mean, given that we know a lot about the, the working conditions, uh, you know, even things like the, the pay and a lot of the administrative problems and challenges that we have in, in women's football, to then have to back that up with a really intense schedule where you're balancing trying to qualify for the Champions League final and uh, and doing it in one week and then going to play Adelaide away. You're not even returning home. You're playing Adelaide away. So, yeah, that'll be, that'll be massive. Uh, and I'm actually weirdly kind of really looking forward to seeing the result of this side because we know they're a very good side. We know that if they comfortably beat Nassaf on Wednesday, they'll come. They'll be coming in with a lot of confidence. They'll be all guns blazing. But the one thing I would say and, and honestly beg, like like beg, Urich <laughs> and, and the team to do is prioritize the Incheon game. Don't worry about the league. Don't if they if they go out and get smacked six nil by Adelaide, perfect because that Incheon game that that Incheon team, the South Korean team that that they have right. The quality of that squad, very easy to overestimate on paper. That that squad is bobbling, okay? So you mean underestimate? Did I say overestimate? I definitely meant yes. underestimate, yeah. I I would say to Sydney FC right now, I, I mean, it's a balancing act. It's an important thing to talk about the intricacies of, but I would rather they send the bloody fourth string side and send the bloody NPL team to go to, go to South Australia in the following week if it means that they win this 2-1 or 1-0 against Incheon, because that game is going to be freaking huge, yeah? And then you have to, you're backing it up in early 2024 with a final. We can worry about that later. Who gives us stuff for now? But they have two of the most crucial fixtures an Australian women's team has ever played in the history of domestic football here. You have to take it seriously. You have to take it seriously. So, so honestly, Sydney FC, just, just focus, focus on the next week. Focus on what's in front of you now. And the rest will sort itself out. I think that the, 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 they'll, they may be exposed in some way. I'm just worried that they're, they're going to think about, they're going to think about the travel demands. I would say don't worry about it and, uh, and really focus on what's, what's coming up this week because it is massive. Well, I'll have Courtney Vine back for that Adelaide game. So if it is a youth team plus Courtney Vine, well, that'll be an interesting experiment there, won't it? Um, that is all we have time for today. Hope you guys have enjoyed it. If you have, be sure to leave us a five star rating on Spotify. And catch us on the socials as well. Um, get behind front page football on Twitter, Instagram, threads, TikTok, Facebook, all the good social media websites, even Twitter, which sometimes is not so good. But alas, we move on. My name's Cody Ojeda. I have been your host today, obviously joined by Matt Olson. Matt, you got any final words? Yeah. Sorry, my, sorry, my nose wasn't working too well. Been, 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 been a bit, uh, coming down with a cold. So let, let's, I hope. And anyone listening to this had a pleasurable experience and that it wasn't too noticeable. <laughs> uh, considering the work you've done around the Matildas, man, I'm sure you can be forgiven very easy. But that is all we have time today. Like I said, hope you all enjoyed it. We'll be seeing you in a fortnight.